Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Fruit salads. It's your old friend Michael Kane. I'm back again, aren't I? <laughs> hey, you watched Mona Lisa last week. You liked that? It was a good old time, me and Bobby Hoskins, eh? Oh, we had fun, didn't we? Yes, yes, we did. That girl, she was a lovely lady. I don't remember her name, but she was quite pretty, wasn't she? I think she was Cicely's niece. Bobby! Hey, what's up? How you doing? I haven't seen you since you died. Well, I'm dead, so... Well, I mean, I guess you can't be that good then, but it's good to see you. Michael, how's your health? Oh, I'm kicking along, you know how it is. I'm still alive, though, unlike you, you prick. Hey, <laughs> it's me and Roger up here. Oh, Roger, how is he doing? Well, he's a rabbit, so... Oh, oh, yes, I remember. He's so what, quite pretty. What's this thing you're doing here? I'm doing what's called a podcast. I don't know if you heard about it before you died. It's like a radio show, but it's on the internet. Radio radio show on the internet. Look, don't you worry your little head about it, me back. You know what? My beeper's going off. i got to go. Are there beepers in heaven, do they? Yeah, you got beeper. Technology's backwards up I'm here. assuming you're in heaven, but I don't know. We did some pretty crazy things, didn't we? Hey, hey, hey. Spoiler alert. Uh, uh, hey, i got to go. All right, you say I'd have gone for me. I will. All or right. the devil. But the rest of yous, listen to this episode. These boys are going to talk about a movie you're going to fucking love. And it's called A Taste of Honey. And I've had a few tastes of honey in me in my day, I'll tell you what. So, enjoy, and here we go. It's for screen and for country. Michael, go a couple prostitutes up here. You always save you one. Keep them on hand. Uh, Mr. Kane, that was not actually the title of the podcast. Oh, you fuck off. And he's gone. Out the door. Both of them. Both of them. The ghost of Bob Hoskins and Michael Caine. Still and very much alive. I was going to say, I'm assuming the ghost of Michael Caine. He looked. He didn't look too good. <laughs> he, was a, he was a bit pale. He was a bit, bit peckish. Um, he looked hungry? Yes. Oh, okay. He looked pale and hungry. Yeah. <laughs> much like our protagonist. Absolutely. Very much so. Um, I am Brendan. I'm Jason. And this is for Scream. And Contrary. That's, a, that's that's most animated we've ever been. Okay, Rick Where are my dogs at? <laughs> okay, you're either Rick Steiner or Conan. I don't know, <laughs> but either way, I like it. <laughs> Conan? Yeah. You mean Arsenio? No, I'm talking... What? <laughs> no, I'm talking about Conan the Wrestler. Oh, I thought you meant Conan O'Brien. I no, was going to say, he go... Well, he does sometimes go... Rah, rah. This is true. Yeah. Um... So this has nothing to do with what, I, what no, we do. No, no, we have a movie to talk about. This is a podcast about the BFI, the British Film Institute, top 100 British films of all time. All British time. As curated in 1999. By Queen Elizabeth II herself. Yes. Uh, old, old Lizzie. 
She oh. loves movies. What can you say? <laughs> Maybe she does. I bet you. I bet you she's seen a Lenny Reifenstahl film in her day. Oh, Jesus. Do you think she's, like, uh, binging the John Wick movies right now? Yeah, I bet so. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Oh, that poor <laughs> kitty! I don't know why she all of a sudden sounded like Mrs. Slocum what? from Are You Being Served, but... Kitty? Oh, that pussy! I hurt that pussy. Doesn't his, oh, no, it's his dog that gets it's killed. His dog, you, I was thinking of Keanu. Never mind. dog, you fucking idiot. Don't they kill Keanu right out of the gate? No. Oh. The cat's in the whole movie. Oh. Spoiler alert, the cat makes it. For some reason, Brendan has a poster of Keanu on his wall. Not Reeves. Goddamn right I do. Anyway. Keanu Reeves? Reeves? <laughs> Keanu That's Reeves actually has a cameo on that movie. Oh, is he a cat? He just does, he does the voice of a cat in a dream sequence. That's nice. So this is what this podcast is about. So we are going to talk about this week, number 56 on the list, a taste of, a taste of honey. A taste of honey? A bit of honey? That's a, ta- a bar. A bit, a bit of honey is a bar in the States, like a chocolate bar, I think. No, a taste of honey. Oh. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> so this movie's about oral sex. But before we talk about oral sex, Jason, we need to talk about last week's movie, Mona Lisa. I wanted to talk about oral sex, Brendan. Well, we can talk about that later off air. Can we do that on a different podcast? You want it? For Scream and Country? <laughs> for, for, <laughs> yes. Huh? For Scream huh? and Country. But if it's just us, that wordplay's not going to work. Uh, well, I mean... I mean, we could talk about it. Yeah. We can't that's, physicalize I, well, that's, it. That's all I can do right now. I want to oh. want to talk. Do you want to get into that a little bit? I want to get into it. Okay. We're well, all pink on the inside, Brendan. Before we We're lose, all pink on the inside. Before we lose every single listener, all uh, eight of you that are listening right now... And we thank you for your listening. <laughs> yes, we're going to call you up by name. Gerald! Eddie! <laughs> what is this, listening. romper room? Yes, <laughs> it is. Or uh, the end of the Waltons, where everybody says goodnight to everyone. But we're not to the end of the show yet. We're not. We are like a twist on the Waltons. If, any, if I want anyone to take anything away from this podcast after listening to it, is that this is basically like an episode of the Waltons. If if it was about the Waltons that run Walmart. Yes. Yes. They I all would, sleep in the same bed, but it's very big and very luxurious. I would love to see that. that. sounds like an SNL sketch that would have aired like at 1245. But I don't think it ever has. No. 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 So, Surprised. Let's do it. I want it. I want it in my life. it now. Colin Jost, if you're listening. Jost. Yeah, How dare you? I call him Jost because we're like that. Jost. You Jost. son of a bitch. Like the winery in Nova Scotia. Well, we haven't talked anything about the, <laughs> what we were supposed to talk about, but let's talk about it. Mona Lisa. Was the film we watched last time. Not yes. last week, because last week we talked about British TV. It was lovely. But last time. time we talked about Mona Lisa, and we do have some comments. Not very many, because not a lot of people have seen this movie, well, I don't People, think. get out there and see this movie. It's pretty good. I mean, Bob Hoskins, come on! It is on the Criterion channel, so if you are subscribed, check it out. And if not, you should really subscribe to the Criterion channel, because it's pretty awesome. And they're not paying us for that, but Criterion channel, if you'd like to send a couple of free memberships our way, I'm willing to beg. I'm not proud or tired. And, yeah, well, you can use your Chromecast, too, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. Which is what I do. I love it. So, first comment here about Mona Lisa is from, uh, not Louis Camera, Louis Camara, is how I'm going to say it, until, right. I'm, until I'm corrected. Yes. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but I saw it twice in the theaters when it came out, and it's a film that stuck with me. It's a solid neo-noir, stylish and gritty cinematography, great performances by everyone, especially Michael Caine. Which I think is very important to remember, because Michael Caine has, what, five to seven minutes of screen time not a combined. whole lot not a whole lot and to make such an impact yeah. like that is crazy it's a real 
It's a real Hermione battley move on his part. That's right. My, good job, Michael Caine. You don't need all the screen time. That's how fucking good an actor Michael Caine is. He's willing to sit there and just do seven minutes and then gone. Home. And I'll read the next one and then I'll give you the last two because there's right. only a few. Donald Fisher says, It's not perfect, but it stayed with me as well. Nobody was better at expressing rage than Hoskins. And Michael Caine gave me chills. People are scared of Michael Caine. They should be. He's a he's a he's a intimidating, insane man. And an unfortunate man when he gets interviewed. <laughs> oh, does he do a lot of groping? Uh, no, he just, he had some thoughts about the Oscar so white thing. A while back. <laughs> well, he's an old bright British man. What yeah. do you expect? Yeah, he's like, wait, wait your turn. Well, it's not, it's not, it's why. It's, you know, it's just the white people are better actors. No, it basically amounted to just wait your turn. <laughs> yep, that's a very British perspective. Here you go. Here All right. Give, give us the last two here, Jason. Uh, Brian Stone. Hi, Brian. He says, I saw it soon after it came out. I can't remember the plot well, but I do remember it being a great role for Bob Hoskins. We need more scruffy leading men actors like Bob Hoskins now. We need more actors like Bob Hoskins because we need more normal looking dudes out there to represent the rest of us who are losing our hair. I was just going to say... To look like Super Mario. The reason I included that one was because was because of that very fact is that we do... I think, I think that's... He raises a good point. We need more people that just... Look like Bob Hoskins. We need like bullet-shaped little tough bald men. Yeah, yeah. There's there's movies. If you watch certain remakes of movies, it's interesting watching modern remakes and seeing like how, how much prettier all the actors are nowadays in comparison to how they may have been in the '60s and '70s. Like, and and even in British movies, because Britain, I love you. But you're a rough-looking bunch of people. And that's fine, because that's what we see on TV. That's the media we see. I think of the British as a rough-looking bunch of people because they put actually talented people on no matter what they look like. Whereas here, on this side of the pond, we only see the plastic people on screen, and we have to go to podcasts to see ugly motherfuckers like you and me. We don't even see them, and it's probably for the best. Anyways, next next comment, final comment, from our friend Peter Kroom, or Kroom. No relation to... Hume Cronin, even though that's a different name. I don't think people are related by rhymes. Uh, I wish. Yeah, if only. Michael Keaton and... Oh no, why did I pick someone you, like you, Michael You'd Keaton? be brothers with Michael C. Hall. <laughs> why did I pick Michael Keaton? Yeah, why Michael Keaton? <laughs> that's What's with Keaton? <laughs> Michael Keaton? Oh, well, you know what? I'll just... Uh, fuck the rhyme thing. Michael Keaton and Buster Keaton are related, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you can see it in Michael Keaton's performance. He's got that physicality. So Peter Kroom, our friend, says, I saw this... I don't know why I keep saying he's a friend. I never met him. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Peter Kroom says, I saw this when it played in the U.S. art theaters in the 80s. I remember really liking it, but I haven't seen it since. Glad to hear it holds up. Hoskins is always good. You know what I'm happy about? That we have people that were able to see this movie in the theater that listen to our podcast. Hi, folks. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I am... Uh, I would have... It would have been interesting to see this in a theater in kind of like a... Like a rundown 80s New York. Like, because, you know, I guess in the 80s it was starting to get better. But, like, in the 70s it was it was pretty still pretty bad. I think around the 80s, 90s it started I think it was improve. the 90s when Rudy Giuliani the, came in the and Dis- started cleaning shit up. The Disneyfication of... Wow, well, talk about someone whose reputation has done a 180 since then, eh? Yeah. Giuliani? <laughs> yeah. From America's mayor to... America's drunk uncle. <laughs> yeah. But Jason... Again, not a lot of comments for this one. Not a lot of people have seen it, but that's okay. If I owned a movie theater, Brendan, what I would do is I would play this in a double header. Is that what they call them? A double header? Is double feature? A double feature, I believe, is the proper term. I would play this in a double feature with Roger Rabbit first and then this, just to see the reactions of people coming out of this. And, and 
to, uh, tell them that both movies are for kids. That's right. Family. <laughs> Absolutely. A family double feature <laughs> of Roger Rabbit and Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, where Bob Hoskins goes to the Louvre looking to save the Mona Lisa from terrorists. And we haven't watched it yet, but possibly The Long Good Friday at the end of that <laughs> The Long Good Friday. That's every Friday for me, brother. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's all right. All right. All right. All right, Jason. So the last thing we do here is we are going to compare this movie's placement on the BFI Top 100. Which every is... episode, Brendan, you tell me that. I know that I'm fact. explaining what? to the folks. Oh, okay. But I... Onboarding is what that's called. Yeah, the illusion is that I'm telling you. Okay. But really, I'm telling the people at home. I get it. Or Already? on their subways or buses. Or... I just thought you were really repetitive. No, but thank you. Okay. <laughs> Continue. My, my apologies for interrupting you. Well, Jason, you specifically, I'm telling you right now, okay. and only you. Yeah. Uh, what we do now <laughs> is we actually take this movie on the BFI Top 100, uh-huh. Mona Lisa, which is number 67. Sure. We compare it to number 67 on the AFI Top 100, the American, the Yanks. That's a really good idea. Thanks. We've never done that before. Well, let's uh, well, let's check it out. What do we got? Well, I, I think this is going to be an easy one for me because <laughs> this is a I have not seen, and I'm assuming it is for you too, but you might surprise me. Number 67 on the AFI is the 1966 film Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I have not seen that movie. Uh, doesn't that have somebody famous in it? Virginia Woolf. <laughs> is it like Bette Midler? Or... It's Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Oh, okay. And yeah, George yeah. Siegel. No, the, the only... Elizabeth... Sandy Dennis. Okay. No, the only Elizabeth Taylor Richard Burton joint I've ever seen was Cleopatra. All four hours. All four hours of it. I have the DVDs, still have not watched it. I think I've watched it twice, actually. Good lord. Yeah. In a row? No. Hey, get back here! <laughs> Just gotta get that weekly reference Gotta, gotta get the clerk's reference in, of course. So, yeah, it's a, I mean, no content. I guess we're gonna have to give it to Mona Lisa, because yeah. we haven't seen the other one. So, good job, BFI, you take another default victory. <laughs> Bob Hoskins, I am con- c- confident that you could have kicked the shit out of Richard Burton. So you were going to say Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> That's, no, no. That's unfortunate. I don't think either of them, I don't think two of them together could have kicked the shit out of Elizabeth Taylor. Well, Bob Hoskins could take out uh, Richard Burton and perhaps Kathy Tyson could have had a little scrap with Elizabeth Taylor. So there you go. That's our dream match. And Michael Caine watches and collects the winnings. We should book a wrestling card when we're done this podcast of our favorite British stars in wrestling <laughs> matches. What's the point? We've already done Oliver Reed. We know that's who that, Well, that's, that's the main event right there. <laughs> Oliver Reed versus everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that being said, Jason, let's move on. We got to move on away from Mona Lisa. We got to talk about this week's movie, A Taste of One. Mmm. That's right, folks. Number 56. A Taste of Honey. Uh, This movie is directed by Tony Richardson, Mm. who I I believe I said this last week, but he uh, has three movies on this list, I think. Yep. Stars a bunch of people you've never heard of, but just, just just for 
the sake of this movie. Yeah. Uh, stars Dora Bryan as Helen, the mother. Yeah. Rita Tushingham, uh, who actually we will know, we'll remember from Dr. Zhivago. She was in the wraparounds as... Uh, the as girl. Egrev. Egrev. Was it Egrev? Was that his name? Oh, she's credited as the girl. No, no, but I mean uh, um, Egrev uh, Zhivago. Was that his name? Al Guinness. Alec Guinness's character, yeah. That's that's in the wraparounds when he's telling the story of Dr. Zhivago's life. That's the girl he's talking to that turns out to be Dr. Zhivago's daughter. Uh, yeah. Because she's, she's got the, the, the I mean, instrument. It's a little bit ambiguous, but it's yeah. pretty, yeah. Uh, so she plays the daughter in this movie. Uh, Robert Stevenson as Peter, the scummy uh, boyfriend. The car salesman, I believe. Yeah, basically. Uh, Paul Danqua as Jimmy, the, the African-American sailor. Mm-hmm. And Murray Melvin as Jeffrey, who, uh, we'll just save it. He's a man of a certain temperament. Yes, we'll talk about Jeffrey uh, when we get to him. But Jason, I just want you to give me a taste of honey. Ooh. Uh, I mean, can you tell me what a taste of honey is about? Well, well, we can, actually. So, uh, what was Ruth, what was her name? Ruth Trainingham? I thought you were going to say Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, yeah, her. Uh, Ruth, oh, sorry. Rita Tushingham. Rita Tushingham plays Joe, who's a young seventeen-year-old girl. She's a she's a teenager, really. Yeah. She's headstrong. She's a bit artistic, and she's in constant conflict with her mother Helen, who is a rather selfish, uh, uh, older. I mean, older in the sixties. Said she's like forty. She's uh, literally thirty-eight years old. Yeah, she, yeah, exactly. The actress <laughs> is thirty-eight years old, playing forty. Yeah. Um, she's divorced. She's an alcoholic. Clearly, uh, she's a bit of a party girl, and she clashes, as I said, with her daughter pretty constantly, much like real teenagers do. And well, we'll go into it, but like that's the thing I like about this movie, Brendan. This movie feels real. These characters don't feel like they're like because some of the other kitchen sinks we've watched, like they feel like very like oh they're dark and they're brooding, and it's like you know like Richard Harris and and the woman that was in that movie with him. But this movie, these there's some humor there, there's some lightness, especially at the beginning of this movie. We heard the theme song. That's a much different kind of, um, I guess, tenor Open. to go into the movie than yeah. uh, as a kitchen sink drama than other ones we've seen. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I kind of compared in my head to Kess more than I do this Sporting yeah. Life. It's because it, Kess was like it, it kind of bleak, but it also was kind of uplifting in a there way. Was some positivity, there was some positivity, there, yeah. and it was it was lighter than some of the other kitchen sink dramas. Yeah. So I think out of all of them, this is probably the lightest one. It we've is the watched. lightest, despite the fact that the subject matter is quite heavy. Yes, uh, as yeah. in all of these movies. So. Yeah, so Helen and Joe, they live together because they're mother and daughter. Uh, Joe's going to school, but she doesn't really like it. It's not her thing. She's not doing real well. Um, And they're getting forced from their apartment. So they sneak out in the middle of the day, like literally climb out the window. Right, that's like the first thing that happens happens. right into that song. Yeah, Yeah. they like, they, they sneak out of their window and take off and go to a new place and on their way there, they're bringing some shit in, and they, they meet a young, strapping sailor by the name of Jimmy. A black fella, as they might say, uh, who happily helps them take their shit into their apartment. Yep. And they have a nice moment, and he takes off and does his thing. Uh, sailing, I imagine, because he's a sailor. <laughs> that is some fucking... That is, you're a re- regular fucking encyclopedia, bro. You know it. I know my stuff, Brendan. So, um... Yeah... Yeah, meets the friendly sailor, and she's constantly fighting with her mother, and she doesn't like her new boyfriend. Her mother's new boyfriend. Her mother's new boyfriend. Yeah, yeah she doesn't have a boyfriend. No. Yet. And that is, uh, and you are, of course, referring to Peter. Peter. 
played by uh, Robert Stevenson. Who is a self-made businessman they describe him as, but he, clear, based on the fact that he seems to be at a car lot, I assume he's a used car salesman. And we also add him to our ever-growing list of scummy British uh, rich characters. Yeah, you could tell because of three main things. His mustache, his hat, <laughs> and the weird stubby cigar he has jammed in his mouth when he walks out of the uh, office. Yes. So we know he's a, we know he's a fucking scumbag. He's very handsy, too. So, uh, yeah, so they, she doesn't like Peter very much, but her mother's out doing whatever. Um, and they, you know what? Her mother is old enough to be Peter's, to be Peter's mother. Well, it's not that old. No, no, that's, that's what they say That's the what movie. they say, yeah. yeah. She's like 40, Peter's like 32. Yeah. Well, actually, they even, at first, I kind of jumped on the movie for doing that. Yeah. And then, literally 10 minutes later, uh, the mother is like, I'm 38, he's 30, I'm not ancient. Yeah, So the exactly. movie even comments on that, on how, like, women are... Uh, when they're a little bit older, seen as like these ancient like ruins. Yeah, and I think this is part of the. This will support the theory that we will get to by the end of the film. That I think this is kind of a feminist movie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, early in the movie, at one point, she she sees Peter coming home with her mother, and she her mother seems to be kind of sick and doesn't want to get down and dirty, but Peter really wants to, and she interrupts him and basically stops her from having to do that because, as we all know, Brendan, women don't want to have sex at all. Never. Uh, but but she decides she doesn't really want to be... She doesn't like her mother very much. Her mother doesn't seem to like her very much. Although they clearly... I think they love each other, but they, they also like don't a, like each other. They have like a family thing where like yeah. they love each other, but at the same time, they don't like each other. Well, what I love too is that they constantly give each other shit, but neither of them seems to like take it super personally most of the time. Like they don't get... They just return more shit. What really spoke... What really stuck out to me is it's very... It's a very like brief scene and it's a very small thing, but... Uh, early on, we find out that Joe is like kind of an artist. Yeah, she likes to draw and stuff. And in a, in a lesser movie, the mother is like pulling them out, looking at them and stuff. It's like, oh, is that me? Oh, is that you? In a lesser movie, she would have like torn one of them. She would have been like, oh, artist, art is for pussies. And yeah, been like go guide a job. But in this movie, she kind of rides her a bit, but then just like gives her the drawings back. And it's like, like, oh, it's actually pretty pretty nice. She's yeah. Like, oh, this is me. And then she's like, oh, well, it's very nice. Like, yeah. Oh, you should go to art school. She kind of like gives yeah. her a hard time, but she's not like ripping. But she's also encouraging her to do something. You know? Exactly. I was like, hey, if you want to go to art school, that'd be cool. Yeah. But uh, but despite that, they don't really get along so well. So she actually, Joe specifically tries not to be home when she leaves. Like, because she usually goes out and she goes out and we see her singing and drinking and partying and having a grand old time. But Joe, uh, 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 when she's in school, ends up like staying behind. And then she goes to leave the school. And as she's leaving, she trips and falls and skids her knee. And I actually, it's a scene where I wonder how many takes they had to do. <laughs> from her falling down the stairs. God, hopefully not that. Hopefully many. not that many. But so she skids her knee, and but she decides she's gonna go wander around before she comes home. So where does she go? Like any young girl, she wanders down to the docks, and while she's there, who does she run into? Her Jimmy. old friend Jimmy. And Jimmy sees her skid knee and says, "Hey, I can fix that. I'm a cook on a ship. I know first aid. Come and with me." Very unsanitary is that she yeah. sits up on the counter where he makes food. Where he makes food for the crew, and yeah. he starts like treating rubbing her, her ass all over the table. Brendan. Yeah. She puts his chef's hat on his head and says, Oh, you're a handsome chef. <laughs> and he is. Um, oh, Jason. Yeah. Someone fell in love. Absolutely. So they, so he, he cleans up her knee, and then they start having some fun and chasing each other around the ship. And then they have to hide from a drunken officer who's walking around the ship. Uh, and then they make out, I think. Yeah. And they, it fades they, out. They, they kiss. 
And at first I was like, oh, that's how they're getting around the kiss is that they're fading out right as they, right as they make contact. But then later on I found out, nope, they, that's not the case. No, no uh, but I, I thought that they might have fucked, but they didn't. That no, was, not yet. That comes later. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> so to speak. Comes later. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, they, they kiss, they have a night together. Their, their relationship is, they kind of starting to kindle something going on between this young schoolgirl and a sailor. Yes. So, and then, meanwhile, the mom, Peter, he's a car salesman, he's a shithead, uh, uh, well, not a shithead, he's just kind of a dickhead. He's a car salesman, he's a shithead. <laughs> he's not a shithead, he's a dickhead. Right. That's what I'm saying. And the fact that Joe doesn't like him puts even more stress on their relationship as mother and daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joe, man, Joe goes super hard on the age thing. She loves insulting her mother about her age. You're, you're less 40 than a well-preserved 60, is what yeah, she tells exactly. her mother. And she's not wrong. That's the thing, is that, in I, I don't know if it's intentional, but but um, the actress, I don't know if she's made up this way, but she does look significantly older than well, 40. Dora Bryan yeah. is 38 at the time. She is 38, for yeah. sure. Uh, but, yeah, she, the way she acts, the way she talks, the way she looks, like, she does feel older than 40. I feel like it's a thing where, I mean, I think we learned later that she had Joe at a very young age. Yes, absolutely. And I think that I think that's what it is. She's kind of forced to um, start being an adult very young so that when she's at the age of 38, she's been an adult for so long, she acts and behaves like an older woman. Also, their accents are very northern, and they and I, it takes place in a northern town. And, and in a northern her town. mother sounds very much like Mrs. Slocum when she gets mad on Are You Being Served. I thought you were going to say, like, Kess. Yeah, it sounds like the burp. No, I mean the people in Cass. Oh, oh. Not like the falcon in Cass. Fuck. She just sounds like a screaming falcon. Jesus. Mom, mom, you going out with Peter again? So yeah, I, I assume she just looks old because of that, but also probably because she smokes 40 to 60 cigarettes a day. It's a British film in the 60s. Everyone looks old. Everyone looks old. Unless it's you're just, like 10. That's what cigarettes do. People don't smoke. Yeah. Um. So things got to come to a head. Joe insists at one point on going with them on a date. Uh, yeah, well, they're going with a few people. Yeah, too. I mean, I mean, they're too. on a date with another couple. They're going to the fair or whatever. She insists on going with them, even though she clearly has no interest in going. She's just going to piss her mother off. And I think she doesn't like to be left alone in the house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She doesn't like to be left alone. So she goes with them. And, you know, she's generally staying out of the way. But at one point, Pete and his buddy uh, there start catcalling some girls. Which I'm watching this and going like, okay, I guess this was a different time. People actually did do that. I guess people still do that now. I'm not a woman. I will say what? that, just in case you guys didn't realize. What? I personally am not a woman, Jason, but I know women. And, you know, I've been uh, spending the last... I know women. I said like fucking Mitt Romney, my binder full of women. <laughs> I've been spending the last 24 episodes trying to get laid, and you're telling me you're not a woman. I, but I'm not saying that that's still not a possibility. You just you keep playing your cards right. We'll see what happens. I mean, I think I'm making some headway. That's so to speak. Hey. So yeah. So Joe gets in, starts digging into him after he does that, and finally Pete's had it, and he's like, "She's got to go. Yeah. It's him or it's her or me. She's got to go home." And the mother seems a little conflicted. Oh no, clearly. And and this is part of her selfishness is that she's not the sort of person to immediately side with her daughter like many mothers might do. Because she's she loves she clearly loves Peter, even though he's kind of a shit. But yeah, so she basically gives her some cab money and says, take yourself home, dear. Just go back home and leave us be. Um, And she does. But then she again meets up with Jimmy. And Mm. things get hotter. To the point where she she clearly indicates to Jimmy that she is willing to give it up. Fully give it up. She is a 17-year-old schoolgirl virgin, Brendan. Mm-hmm. And he Ready is, to give it up to a goddamn sailor. And he is at least 35. Easy. He sure looks it. <laughs> yeah. 
But well, again, no, well, act- I mean, he could be 22, but he looks like he's the, 90. The actor is 35, and I believe Rita Tushingham is around 22, 23. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, I mean, it's perfectly okay. So, but, The characters but, are just different. But Jimmy, Jimmy says she, he's into her. Like, he even gives her a ring. Now, yeah. to be fair, we don't know how many rings he's got in a box somewhere just for the situation. But, just, I mean, he is a sailor, right? Yeah. But... He does give her the ring, and it doesn't quite fit her fingers, so he puts it around her neck, you know, and she's got this nice little ribbon with his ring around her neck, and he's like, look, I, I love you. Uh, and she's like, well, why do you love... Or No, what does he say? He says... She, she says, says, she says, I love you, and he says, why do you love me? He's like, because you're daft. Because you're daft. Yeah. That's great. It's a very, like, immature, childlike response. Yeah, so he says he's in love with her, and then he's going to come back because for her. But Joe... She is a child. She's a child. But also, Joe is a smart child, because yes. she's realistic enough to be like, yeah, I mean, to be fair, you're probably never coming back. I mean... That she she understands how sailors work, and she's like, "You're gonna be gone. I'm never gonna see you again." And he's like, "No, no, no. I'm gonna come back." And she's like, "Yeah, okay. We'll see. I'm still willing to fuck you though." <laughs> and whew, Jimmy gets his world rocked. Yeah, and they have a full on kiss scene, and I gotta say, interracial kiss in a 1961 movie, pretty yeah, crazy. Big deal, big deal for sure. I don't um, think that was happening in the states yet. No, certainly not in the states. Now, to be fair, we we understand England. It's different there. I mean, mm. uh, their their racism was much more condescendingly paternal <laughs> rather than just outright aggressive, like it was in the United States. They weren't burning crosses; they were they, taking over nations. That's right, exactly. <laughs> they didn't have to. They didn't have to be mean to the individual when they could be mean to the race as a whole. Right. So and that's uh, what we're trying to. That's the message we're really trying to push here. Be mean guys. to races as a whole. Not don't, individuals. don't individualize. Just post hateful things towards everyone. That's right. If you're going to be a racist, be a racist in a general way. That's right. <laughs> we are the world. We are the world. Oh shit! That's a hundred dollars right there. We don't have it, <laughs> Quincy. So hook me up. Joe gets her world rocked. And what happens when you get your world rocked? You got to go home and go to bed and sleep it off. Right. And, and that's what she does too. She um. Goes home, she goes to sleep, she wakes up to her mother. Turns out her mother going to get married. Mm-hmm. Marrying Peter. Much to her chagrin. But uh, while her mother's there, she sees the ring around Joe's neck. And points it out and is like, oh, what are you, what, what, you got a ring? What are you doing? Don't make the same mistake I did. Yeah, don't get married. Don't get married young. Don't get knocked up. You, you know, it's like, I made those mistakes. And, and those mistakes uh, that she made, that Helen made... You know, uh, clearly, like, in this movie, we see that Helen is a person that, you know, she had Joe Young, so she had to grow up fast, and she didn't have time to, you know, have fun like a young person did. And I, and it feels like she's making up for it now, because she's going out to party and drinking and, and, and dancing and carousing in the way that a young person might. Yeah, my daughter's old enough, I can leave the house for long yeah. periods of time. But she tells, you know, she just says, don't get trapped, don't make the same mistake I did, live your life, enjoy it, you know, and... and Proof to me that she does love her. Mm. Even if she is selfish, even if she's not always there for her, she does love her daughter. And then, Joe asks about her father. Madness is hereditary, isn't it? Oh, for God's sake, Joe. Decide for yourself whether you're mad or not. She's not mad and neither was he. You said he was an halfwit. How could you go with an halfwit? I don't know. Everybody used to laugh at him, but you know, I thought he was rather nice. Tell me. I won't understand. Look, Joe. For one night, well, actually, it was the afternoon, I loved him. I've never really been with a man before. It was the first time. You can remember the second and the third. And the fourth time, 
But there's no time like the first. It's always there. Feels like the first time for the very first time. You don't know that song, do you? Feels like the first time. I was just singing another song about being a virgin. Like a virgin. Hey. But she's not a virgin. It's like a virgin. Okay, Quentin. Simile. It's a simile, not a metaphor. All right, Quentin. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and that scene, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, you hear that? Uh, you know, the first person she was with was Joe's father, right? Well, she. Yeah, and I mean, and, and that isn't that a like Joe has just lost her virginity to Jimmy, mm-hmm. so that kind of puts Jimmy in like a similar situation. I mean, that's the thing. Jimmy's, you know, but he's not a simpleton. He's not a halfwit. No, no, but I'm just saying, like, it's a, it's an interesting, like, comparison point. Yeah, and, well, and later in the movie, she makes the uh, comment about, like, her mom said that she'd remember the first time, but she couldn't even really remember it. Yeah. Yeah, with yeah. Jimmy. And, and neither did we, because we didn't see it. Right. They didn't deem to show us the hot action. That's so surprising. We I didn't mean, see an interracial sex scene in 1961. They should have pushed the envelope, Brendan. This was not Don't Look Now. Tony Richardson, if you're out there and you're probably long dead, but that doesn't matter on this show. Nicholas Rogue, if you're still alive and you want to do another crazy sex scene in a movie, put those two actors together again. Let's have a real taste of honey. Yeah. Yeah, so she explains the father, said he was a simpleton. I don't know that he was actually straight up like mentally challenged or if he was just like like a, like a, just a simple guy. Like a I will sound guy. I would also posit the theory that he was not a good person because if this is like... We're led to believe that her taste in men is not great. Yeah. Also, obviously with Peter, mm-hmm. and we hear that Joe Joe has quote unquote never liked any of the guys she, her mother has been with. Yeah. So if if Peter is like the bar for that kind of thing, I wonder what the father was actually. Yeah. Like. If, if Peter's the one that that she wants to marry, because you could describe Peter as a simpleton. Kinda. Yeah. He has a halfway. He's a bit of a boor. He's a bit of yeah. He's a bit of an asshole. He's a bit of a dumbass. And like yeah, I I, I feel like the father might not have been a great guy. But Joe. She is a good guy. She's a good guy. She's a good guy. And she decides that she's going to get out of school now. She's, I assume, turning 18. Says she's 17 at the beginning of the movie. She must turn 18 at some point, and she's allowed to quit school at her leisure. Well, this is we. they actually cut the scene where she meets with the uh, the advisor that tells her to go work in the coal mines. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But she gets a job at a shoe shop with a, an old British fellow who actually looked familiar. I didn't look him up, but he seemed familiar. Maybe he's just a type. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, so she gets a job working at a shoe shop uh, and not having a lot of luck selling shoes. Until? Until a boy comes in off the street. A very well put together, uh, very precise speaking boy. What are, what are you trying to say, Jason? Uh, I'm just saying that he is a, he's a, a man of a certain character okay. who comes into the store and asks if, they, asks if Joe has Italian shoes, which she pulls out, and he immediately buys them. Now, here's a funny, funny thing about me, Brendan. When she hands him the or when she tells him how much the shoes are, she says eighteen bob. Now I thought eighteen bob meant eighteen pounds, and I thought to myself, "Oh, eighteen pounds sounds like a lot of money in 1961." So I looked it up. Eighteen pounds works out to the equivalent of about four hundred pounds today, which would be about six or seven hundred dollars. And then I looked it up and realized, no, 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 bob was slang for shilling, which is the smaller unit of money. So I looked it up. Did the conversion? Turns out he spent about forty dollars or thirty bucks on a pair of shoes, okay. which is still a lot of money for a guy who can't pay his rent. Or I guess he got kicked out. He, well, he he uh, yeah, I know we know what happened there. Yeah, 
but they seem to hit it off. They 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 seem to have a nice little ca- chemistry with each other, and he takes off, and she goes to the fair a little bit later and runs into him again, and turns out his name is Jeffrey. And they have a. What's interesting is they have their fair scene compared to the earlier fair scene we saw shot mm-hmm. very differently. Yep. And they have a much better time. Yes. They ride the roller coaster. They go to all the things. They there, have a good time. There's no uh, there's no Snapchat filter scene. Nope. And and uh, uh, he is nice enough to walk Joe home. And when they get back to Joe's place, she goes up into her house and notices that he's kind of milling around and is like, well, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I don't, do you have anywhere to go? And he's like, not really. And she's like, well, come on in. He kind of skirts around and he's like, go outside the home. I'm going to it right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to it right now. Here I go, walking to my home. So, anyways, he goes in and then she's like, well, what happened? You get kicked out of your place? And he's like, eh, well, yeah. And she's like, oh, did she catch you with a girl? Because apparently in those days, if you were Ooh. fucking somebody in your house and you were not married, that was enough to get kicked out. Actually, let's play this Jeffrey scene. All right, let's do it. Haven't you got a home to go to? No, my landlady threw me out. Why? It's my job business. You can stay if you tell me. Well, I was behind with the rent. That's a lie for a start. No, it's not. Oh, come on, Jeffrey Ingham. Let's have a bit of life on the subject. Who did she find you with? Your girlfriend? Of course not. It wasn't a man, was it? Look, I've got a nice, comfortable couch. I've even got some sheets. You can stay if you tell me what you do. Go on, Jeffrey. I've always wanted to know about people like you. Go to hell. Hey, I won't snigger, honest, I won't. Tell me some of it, go on. I bet you never told a woman before. I don't go in for sensational confessions. I want to know what you do. I want to know why you do it. Well, tell me or get out. Right. Oh, Jeff, don't go, Jeff. Don't go, I'm sorry, please stay. Get off. I can't stand women at times. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Come on, Jeff. I'll get those sheets and blankets and make up a bed for you. I don't care what you do. Honest, I don't. Please stay, Jeff. Very progressive for her time, but if you hadn't figured it out, Jeff is gay. Jeff is gay, and I love how she is... Not like, she doesn't care that he's gay, but she's curious. She's, she's like, fascinated. She's like, I've never met a gay person. Yeah. Why do you do it? Tell how me all about it. How do you do it? it? Tell me all about it. Tell yeah. me how you do it. Tell me how you fuck him in the ass. That's that's what she was saying well, off screen. We cut it off just before she just says before that she line. started saying that, yeah. yeah. This is rated R. Yeah, absolutely. But no, uh, yeah. So, yeah, Jeff is gay. It's it's not directly ever said in the movie, but it's very clear. Because I think that's their censor get around. Yeah, exactly. They have to do it that way. Exactly. They had to do it in the, in, in the old way of, like, he just happens to be better dressed than everybody and much more precise in his hair. And he has, it sounds a bit like this. He's got a bit of that voice. It just sounds a bit campy. But not to the point of, like really over the top. Oh, yeah. This isn't like a cartoon character. Like, oh, ho, ho, like yeah. Mr. Humphreys. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. None of that. Like, it's nothing like that. Yeah. So, yeah. And and uh, after this, through a montage, they become best of friends. Montage. It is. It's an early montage. And, and he's, she starts referring to him as her big sister. Yeah. Which is both sweet and also, like, in retrospect, super insulting. That yeah. feels like, it's like, oh, look at this sister over here. This. Jeffrey, you're like a big sister to me, ain't you? <laughs> um, and because they're such good friends, it is Jeff who goes to find her when she doesn't show up to work one day. She's hanging out under a bridge. I guess she pretended to be a troll. And, I was say that. In and Central Park. Thus, 
he is the first one to find out the news that she is preggers. Hey, I've been looking for you. I've cooked dinner, don't you want it? I don't fancy it. Well, I haven't poisoned you up till now. I don't want anything to eat. I'm going to have a baby. Yes, I thought so. You're in a bit of a mess, aren't you? Oh, I don't care. You can get rid of babies before they're born, you know. Yes, I know, but I think that's terrible. When's it due? About November. Your mother should know. Why? Well, look at the things she'll have to buy for a baby. Clothes. And you need a cotton of pram, won't you? Oh, shut up. I'm not planning big plans for this baby or dreaming big dreams. You know what happens when you do things like that? This baby will be born dead or daft or... You're just feeling a bit depressed, that's all. You'll be your usual self once you get used to the idea. And what is my usual self? My usual self is a very unusual self. And don't you forget that, Geoffrey Ingham. I'm an extraordinary person. There's only one of me, like there's only one of you. We're unique. Young. Unrivaled. Slashing. We're bloody marvellous. Hey, Jeff, it's me half day. How would you like to go to the country? Wonderful. Hey, come on. And they go to the country. Yeah, I love how their, like, almost childlike uh, behavior comes in at the end of that. She's very, She starts to, like, I'm pregnant. Oh, fuck. Turns into, like, you know what? We're wonderful. <laughs> but, I mean, and, and this is, you know, the, the, her and Jeff Her and Jeff become such close friends. And, and later in the movie, she makes the comment that, that the reason she loves Jeff so much, she likes Jeff so much, is that she, she never expects him to ask anything of her. Meaning, he's not going to try to fuck her. Like, he does like ask, in those days. He does say they should get married. He, and does. he does. try and to kiss her. He does kiss her. And, and clearly, in my mind, it's like, oh, he's testing himself. He's like, maybe yeah. this will work. And he kisses her. And in his head, you know, he's like, yeah, no, that's no. not. But but he's like, I will marry you so we can take care of this baby. Because he is down to be a, a surrogate dad for this baby. Well, she even asks, semi-jokingly, yeah. do you want to be the father? And he says, yes, yes. I would like that quite a lot. And she kind of mumbles and changes the subject yeah. she wasn't expecting that no. kind of heartfelt answer yeah and also she lies to him initially and tells him that the father is some african prince african, yeah yeah has, who has a bit uh, what, what did she say to J- jimmy early in the movie you have a bit of the jungle in you oh yeah because he's like oh she because she says oh your 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 parents must be from africa you you must have family from africa and he's like no they're all from liverpool yeah <laughs> and i think that's i think that's um I don't think that's the movie being racist. No. I think that's her character just being young and ignorant. Well, and, and of the time, assuming that if a black person would have like direct relatives from Africa, and he and, and then of course they play on that or they they twist that idea by just going, no, they're all from Liverpool. Yeah, by <laughs> having Jimmy like straighten her out, like, no, no, we're all from here. We're we're, we're all Liverpudlian. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeff wants to help raise that baby, and uh, it it gives Jeff's life some meaning. Clearly, Jeff is having some issues. I mean. You know, it's hard enough being a gay person in 2019, I have to imagine, but in 1960, holy fuck, that's yeah. a tough, that's a tough ride 1960s to 1960s Liverpool? Yeah, or well, this or, isn't in Liverpool, I this guess. is in, this begins with an S is the name of this, it's north, somewhere. They don't sound like the Beatles, do they? Although Jimmy does a bit. Alright. You're fired. <laughs> but yeah, Jeff, Jeff is down for helping the baby, he wants to help her out, uh... Even goes even actually goes to the pregnancy clinic to get information, while a bunch of mothers stare at him, very just looking very not necessarily disapprovingly, but just like ugh. Great scene, by yeah, the way. Like, like what and the I fuck love, are you doing here? I love how he's surrounded by those posters that are like, "Your baby might have diphtheria. Yeah. This is the way to change your baby. This is this for your baby." And he's looking around, and it, he he 
feels very small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Overwhelmed. So the, the doctor goes one step further than just giving him some pamphlets. She actually gives him a full-on baby doll to practice with and says, yes. here, take this to your, your wife <laughs> and uh, let her, uh, uh, you know, practice. And this is her reaction to receiving said baby doll. Joe's reaction to the baby doll. Oh, thanks, Jeff. You're a cure. Hey, I've got something for you. Well, I got it from the clinic, you know. I thought you could practice a few holds on it. The colour's wrong. What? The colour's wrong. I'll bash his brains out and kill it! I don't want this baby, Jeff! I don't want to be a mother! I don't want to be a woman! <laughs> Typical pregnant woman, just all emotional. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's her moment. I think that's her moment. Everything becomes real. Yeah, it finally hits her. And she's like, oh, the color's wrong. Like saying like, I'm probably going to have, you know, a black child. But mm-hmm. that, that's not what bothers her. The fact that she notices that and then she's putting it all in her head like, oh, this is going to happen for real. It all finally kind of comes crashing down on her. And I'm going to be what my mother is. Exactly. And I don't want to be that. Doesn't want that in the least. Yeah. So she's obviously having some issues, but Jeff... Jeff only wants the best for her, and Jeff decides to suck it up and go see Helen uh, to tell her that Joe is pregnant. Uh, And, you know, Helen's kind of a bitch about it in the way that Helen is, but she does love her daughter, and she goes to see her. Mm -hmm. And she calls her a silly little whore (laughs) for doing doing that. But she also offers her money, asks her to move in with her, uh, even though Peter is not down with that. And takes the money back. And takes the money back. And he's, then and he's it, drunk as shit. And he's drunk as shit. But also, in a very 1960s uh, uh, moment, offers her a cigarette. And yeah. Joe initially refused it, but then says, no, no, I'll keep it for later. Yeah. I also I just wrote down, like, did they not know in 1961 that that was not a good thing to do? That was around the time it was starting to become a thing, okay. 1961. They banned uh, cigarette help. advertising like 10 years later in the United States. So. I, oh, I thought you were saying there was a band called Cigarette Advertising. Oh, I wish. Hello? I'm John Rogers, and this is cigarette advertising. Smoke, smoke, smoke. They're just playing Ramon covers. <laughs> just cigarette theme Ramon covers. Okay, what would one be? Uh, 20, 20, 24 hours ago, ago. I want to have some nicotine. <laughs> I smoked a big old cigarette out. I want some nicotine. Just put it in your mouth and light it up now. Puffy, 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 <laughs> spit it out your mouth. <laughs> It may hurt your lungs, but it improves your health. Oh, 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 Get some nicotine. We better copyright that. Yeah, we better before somebody comes after us. Well, most of the Ramones are dead, so it doesn't matter. No, I just want to keep that song. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it goes to Helen. Helen offers her money, takes it back. Well, actually, she doesn't take it back. Peter takes it back because Peter comes up into the room and has one of the funnier lines in a movie when he looks at Jeffrey and goes, this the father, and then he looks at him a little closer and goes, oh no, <laughs> oh dear no. Yeah, he, knows he knows what's up. He knows what's up right away. Uh, and I love that he's hammered, but he's the one that's driving, because it was the 60s. <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> I said, but, I said, I said to this, like, that mother gets back in the car, she's going to meet a Simone Signore fate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's what we were hoping for for Peter, but it did not go down that way. No, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, they drive off, and after a visit, they, uh, she has to. Joe has to take a little visit down to the river to kind of get her head together, and um, that's when she tells Jeff that she she really likes him because he never asks anything of her, and that she could just kind of be herself around him. Um, 
But Helen comes back to the house and, and insists that she should move in with her, but uh, she doesn't want to. Joe doesn't want to, and so she wants to. Helen wants to move in with her into her apartment. And Peter has dropped her like a bad habit. Peter has dropped her by like a bad habit by this point because he's off with his own bit of crumpet. Yeah, much he, like George and Room at the Top. He basically found a younger model. Found a younger model, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I think that might even be the actual line, right? No, I think what you said. Yeah, one well, bit think, of crumpet. Yeah, I don't even. I don't. I don't remember. I think I had to like. I like I watched it twice, and I think the second time I was like, "Oh, okay." There you go. Uh, so yeah, so she's definitely there for, but and and Joe's a bit sick at this point, so she's lying down in her in her bed, and she says, "Please tell Jeff he doesn't have to move because that was something she said is that he's gonna have to move." And so yeah. she's like, she doesn't say anything, and then she never tells him. No, he's already so. packing his stuff up, and he lays into her, gets his gets needs says what he needs to say, but she doesn't say anything and lets him leave. And in the ultimate, like, act of, um, it's just like a really sad bit where she gives Jeff back his basket that he made for yeah. the baby. Yeah. I thought that She's was... like, oh, it's very old fashioned. She says, yeah, I thought that uh, was, Joe. I thought that was really sad. That was really sad. It was, I mean, tough. like Joe, not Joe, but, but Jeff really loves like as, a, as a, like, as almost like family loves her yeah. and wants to love that baby. And the mother's just such a bitch that she doesn't want him to be around. Yeah. Which is a shame. It's it's the mother um, desperately looking for acceptance after being dropped. So he writes a little note and takes a shit and leaves. <laughs> so he writes a little note, takes a shit? Yeah. And takes a leaves. shit on the floor and then leaves. Yeah. Uh, I thought and that then, was weird. Meanwhile, Joe is telling his, her mom finally that the baby might be black. And her mother's kind of shocked by that. Uh, she doesn't necessarily seem angry about it. She's just very shocked. Like, oh, well, what are we going to do? I need a drink. And she goes outside. But... I do want to say, though, despite her the mother not maybe seeming that angry, there was an earlier scene where um, Jimmy asked, sorry, where Jimmy asked if uh, her mother knew that he was black. Yeah. And she said, oh, no, he's not prejudiced. She's not prejudiced. Mm. But I think from the reaction we get here, she seems like she she's got a little bit of She's got a little bit, you know, in the way that a lot of people probably would have in those days. I mean, I, I think part of her reaction is like, oh, how will everybody else react yeah. because she's very much about appearance appearances right yeah as Absolute, we can see from yes. her going out and partying and everything absolutely but i think there's like a little bit of prejudice in there yeah so joe follows her outside they mill around while jeff kind of is standing back out of the light as a bunch of children dance around burning an effigy of guy fox because if we remember earlier in the movie she said the baby was due in november it's now november and of course remember remember the 5th of november brendan I'm that's glad, guy fox day well i'm glad you did because i didn't know what was going didn't on know what was going on <laughs> i was it's, like why are they i was like why are these children having a bonfire you've seen v for vendetta yes, right yes, yes so you know the deal the story and that's what they do every november the 5th they burn effigies of guy fox because he tried to blow up parliament but didn't but i i, I did think it, at first it was just a bunch of children having a bonfire yeah. And so he kind of watches them, and they go back inside, and he turns around and walks off into the dark, and our movie ends. Yeah, and Jeff is out of her life, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a shame. And the mother is living with her daughter again. Yeah. We're kind of back to square one, and I think it's a pretty sad ending. It is a sad ending, yeah. But it's still, it was, it, was a fu- it was an interesting ride, and characters, you know, that I liked. It was an interesting ride. It was, really, it was the journey, wasn't it? Well... Jason, let's get into this. Let's get into the a little bit of background on this movie. Sure. Because I want to tell you something. It's, it might, I don't know if you already knew this, but it might blow your mind if you didn't. If this was a play? Well, yeah, it was a play. <laughs> but uh, Sheila Delaney is the name of the... I might be pronouncing that wrong. But Sheila Delaney wrote the original play mm-hmm. at the age of 18. Wow. 18! Did she go through this stuff, maybe? No. 
She did. That's wild. So I want to tell you that, first of all, the original cast on stage was uh, Joan Plowright as Joe and Angela Lansbury as Helen. Uh, She was inspired to write this play. So she went and saw this play called Variation on a Theme. It was written by Terrence Radigan. And she thought the play was especially cruel to homosexuals. Mm. She thought of the representation of homosexuals in general in film at the time was pretty, like, one note. They tended to be, like, Peter Laurie villains. Like, yeah, really, yes. Peter Laurie villains or, like, desperately depressed people who, yeah. like, kill themselves. Which but, was not far off, I imagine, for a lot of gay people in those no, days. No, but if that's your only representation. Yeah, exactly. You, you shouldn't I mean? have just the, the, the sad, death-bound gay. Yes. That's a trope we don't need anymore. Exactly. I mean, you, you can have it. You can have it, but just don't let that be the only representation. No, make it more about the sad and deathbound part than who he sticks his dick inside. Right. So uh, this is this kind of inspired her too to want to write a play about a, like featuring like a much more nice representation of a gay character like Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. Um, di- uh, director Tony Richardson loved her words so much, like loved all the dialogue of the play so much that he would strive so hard to keep as many of it in as possible mm-hmm. while still trying to make like a cinematic experience. Yeah, and it, it works very well. Because it like, doesn't feel like a play. No, and because and, we've seen movies that probably could be plays and, and feel like plays and, you know, plays make me yawn. Um, you don't like plays? Oh, I I like plays. I just they make it's like going to church. I mean, not that I like church, but the only time I go to church, it's like just yawn after yawn. Well, it's like I saw a movie recently called The Big Kahuna. Oh yeah, with uh, Kevin Spacey and uh, <laughs> yeah. and Danny DeVito. Yes, yeah, it's a great movie. And that is that was a play. Yep. And then a movie, and that feels like a play. Yeah. It's a good oh. movie, but it's completely. No, it is a play because like it was all in one room. Yeah. Uh, basically. Yeah. Couple of locations, but yeah, and um, but this one doesn't. It's one of those things that's like a stage play to a movie. It does not feel like a st- it was a stage play. No, they they do use, you know, they use real real areas. They use real sets. A lot of scene like changes. Yeah. A lot of like cinematic devices, and that's what I'm saying. Like, so Richardson wanted to do that, but also keep with the nature of the play. Yeah. Um. So. To, uh, Tony Richardson cast Rita Tushingham out of something like 2,000 young girls. Wow. He had so many auditions. And, I and wanna, this was her first role. First role. And I want to play a little clip of uh, Rita Tushingham actually doing an interview much later. This is like a few years ago. Um, and talking about how the studio almost made Tony cast someone else. Did you know then or <laughs> did you find out later that Richardson said it was the, the eyes and the close-ups that won you the part? Um, I, well, I... I've obviously heard it. I wouldn't be a liar, <laughs> wouldn't I, if I said no? But I didn't not back then. What a surprise. No, but uh, yes, I, I think he did. Uh, yeah. He said the all speaking, all speaking eyes. Did you, I suppose you didn't have any uh, consciousness about John Osborne, who you mentioned, obviously the, the writer of Look Back in Anger and one of, one of the 20th yeah. century's great playwrights. <laughs> he says the financial people involved in the film were already going. You know, you need a much bigger star than this. Well, do you know who they wanted? Audrey Hepburn. And Tony was adamant. <laughs> I mean, it's... That would be a and, and, film. No, but she, yes, but she, what an amazing actress mm. and beautiful woman. Um, but, no, Tony and John were adamant that it should be an unknown, and they wanted it to be me. Breakfast, I was very lucky. Breakfast at Tiffany's was released that year. The yeah, same, that's the same right. Yeah. Year. I've never really done a movie where I've had fantastic costumes have interesting costumes but never had really superb beautiful costumes like Audrey Hepburn did yeah you see there you go <laughs> she had the costumes I got taste of funny and, and I, that's the thing too she's got to be in her what late 70s now 
She's yeah. born in like, like 1942. Well, she was about 22, 22, 23 when that movie was made. So yeah, she has to be, she, ooh, she's almost, she's pushing 80 at this yeah. point. And that's the thing, you look at her now and you see those eyes and you see that smile and it, you know who she is. She, and those eyes, that's the thing, like that's, in Dr. Zhivago, we don't see much of her. We only see her really at the beginning and the end of the film, right? Mm -hmm. But those eyes, they never just forget. are piercing. And then I yeah. see this movie, and in this, this movie's in black and white. And still those eyes, especially in those close-up scenes, like, just, it, they say everything. And think about that. We almost had Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, I mean, and Audrey Hepburn is a great actress. Oh, and she probably would have been fine. Nothing but... against Audrey Hepburn. But if this was around the same time as, as Breakfast at Tiffany's, yeah. I think she would have been a little too old for this. Too old and too glamorous. Yeah, too glamorous. Yeah, and it's not say Ruth Tushingham is a is a is a very attractive. She's very young pretty, lady. but but she comes across much more able to play that lower class. And the fact that she was an unknown would have helped with that, because you know, if otherwise, it's like, oh, look at Audrey Hepburn in this movie rather than this movie about this girl. Right. Um, so, a little story about this movie. Despite winning Best Actor for Murray Melvin, who plays Jeffrey, and Best, Best Actress, Actor. Yeah, well, nice. at, at, at Cannes, yeah, yeah. at the Cannes Film Festival. Best actor, well, it might have been supporting, but it was like, he won a Best Acting Award, and Rita Tushingham won for Best Actress. Despite winning them at Cannes, uh, they, were, they went unrecognized and were barred from the film's celebration party, so they went, went, tried to come in, and they were told... Basically, we don't know who you are until this until a film critic named Alexander Walker, who obviously had seen the movie, spotted them outside and was able to get them in. Was basically like, these are the stars of the movie. Like, what are you guys doing out here? They won't let us in. You're in the you're in the fucking movie, and they won't let you in. Well, that Come just on. I think that just tells you how the naturalistic performances yeah. in this movie, and the, the they they're not you know. Um, I do uh, want to play a little clip of a of a song here actually because as as far as. Uh, he's not a good person, but Morrissey yeah. is a huge fan of this movie. Hmm. And actually many lyrics from the Smith's songs are inspired by this movie. He takes whole bits of dialogue in his, some of really? his songs. And I, I do know that. Yeah. So this is a, a little clip of, um, uh, one of his songs and you'll hear, it sounds a little bit familiar. Save your life because you've only got So that's just a little bit. They also uh, mimic the line where uh, Jimmy says, I dreamt of you and I fell out of bed twice. Like, that's in one of their songs. Morrissey would actually say that 95% of his songs probably have lyrics straight from this movie. Wow. Because he was such a big fan of the play. Mm. And he said fifty. He said probably half the reason he became a singer was because of this movie. Wow. The Smiths, yeah. Huh. Neat. Crazy, right? Morrissey, um, kind of a garbage person, but you know. Whatever. Uh, talented singer. Talented singer. And that's it. The yeah. end. <laughs> um, so, interesting note. We talked about the, the ship and the kind of captain that stumbles around drunkenly uh, in the movie. Mm. So, when the Manchester shipper and Manchester pioneer were chosen to star in the play, so the, the, the two ships that are represented or whatever, uh, they, they didn't know that part of the plot involved a drunken seaman taking his girlfriend on board and also involving a drunken first officer. So when the premiere took place, uh, the company had to take space out in the program <laughs> to note that Manchester liners neither approved nor allowed such conduct. Uh, 
That's funny. Not that they had a problem with the interracial relationship, which is kind of nice that they didn't say anything about that. Just the fact that the sailors were drunk on there. They're like, oh, we don't allow drinking on our ships. Drunk sailors? No, I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> Shall we deep dive, sir? Deep dive! We need a theme song for this. Deep diving. That's it. Okay. That's all we get. I want to talk about... Um, we talked a little bit about this, but I want to talk about how this is how this exists in the world of like kitchen sink dramas. Mm-hmm. So this is described as a kitchen sink. It's also described as like a uh, British New Wave film. And it's all it's always like characterized being filmed in a very realistic style with not a lot of flashy camera work, naturalistic performances. And the lead character is usually, quote unquote, an angry young man. Um, obviously, this is not the case in this movie. It's from a female perspective. It's an angry young woman. It's angry completely different. Woman. Yeah. But in those movies, you typically don't have a concrete reason why they're angry. They're just kind of frustrated with their station in life. And everything kind of comes together. Whereas with this movie, I think you know right away. Hmm. It's very evident from the get-go why she's angry. And we're never confused about where the anger stems from. And she's not; she doesn't hide it well either. No. Um, so I think that's a, a much different approach uh, on an emotional level. Well, and it's realistic because, you know, think about most teenagers. I bet you 90% of their aggression comes from their parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or from interacting with their parents. But like you said... Like we said, it, it's it's a softer, it's kind of a softer movie. And I don't know if that's be- because it's from a female perspective, but, I mean, it has to have something to do with it. Yeah. And I'm not saying, like, you know, just because it is, it automatically makes it, like, a softer movie. Like, women are soft, okay? But, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, this movie just takes takes a, a softer approach to this heavy subject matter than other movies. You know, I didn't, the ending is, is sad, but I didn't feel, like, crushed after watching something like This Sporting Life, which has just been heavy for two straight hours. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing, too. This movie's 96 minutes. Yeah. So it's not Pretty even Pretty quick long. for a uh, for a kitchen sink. I want to talk about all the uh, all the images of people being trapped. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Now, this might sound like, oh, oh hold on, i got to put on my glasses. Okay. Get my, uh, my hibiscus. That's a flower, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna get my hibiscus flower. Okay. <laughs> and uh, but like, okay, early on when they're escaping out of their house at, in the, at the beginning, Joe and Helen, uh, because they're gonna get kicked out or whatever, they have a bird in a cage, mm. and I thought that was the biggest like, uh, yeah, just right? on the nose, slapping you in the forehead. I don't, I don't think, it, but see, I don't <laughs> even think it's on the nose because I think it's just there. I think if you don't think about it, you don't really. You know, you don't really think about it. But, like, if you look at it a little closer, you're like, okay. I know why the cage bird sings. <laughs> exactly. And, then, like, later on, there's actually a bit where when Peter comes over, he kind of puts his finger next to the cage, and Joe gives him a look. Mm. And it's almost like, oh, I'm going to free you from here. And she's like, you're not going to be the one to free us from the no. cage. You know what I mean? Like, it's... That's right. I don't know. Maybe that's... She true. doesn't want to be freed by him. Sorry for sounding like a nerd. Yeah. And then there's other things here. There's a... There's a scene here I definitely want to play where they Helen and Joe go to their new place after they leave. Uh, just this whole conversation is really interesting. We'll talk about it after. Here we go. Sorry, I should say this is where uh, Peter brings Joe home. Or no, that is not what happened. That's not what happened. That's Brendan. a much different movie. That was that was the movie that was going on in your head afterwards. <laughs> Peter, I was hoping for it. Didn't happen. <laughs> Peter brings Helen home, and Joe kind of greets them. In her own way. Yeah. And then they go into the house after. What's this one called? Oh, go on, go to bed, go on. Are you coming? Not yet. Then I'll wait for you. 
Is she always like this? Oh, she's jealous. Well, that's something I didn't bargain for. <coughs> she ought to be in bed. I know she should. Shall I retire while you kiss her good night? I'll kiss you good night, young lady, and it really will be good night. Hey, take care of your mother while she's ailing. You know how fragile these old ladies are. Oh, puss off. Ooh, he's a noisy beggar, that one. What's that bed like? It's like a coffin, only half as comfortable. Well, it's where we all end up in the end. Oh, now, come on, Joe, get that light off and let's get to bed. Aren't we going to clear this luggage up? Oh, it'll look all right in the dark. Yeah, it's seen at its best, this room, in the dark. Well, everything's seen at its best in the dark. Even me. You know, I can't understand why you're so frightened of it. It's not the darkness outside I'm frightened of. It's the darkness inside houses I don't like. It's a great line, and it gets a lot across in yeah. just that one bit. It, like, the bit where they're, they're, they're talking about how the beds are like coffins, and, yeah. and Helena's like, well, we're going to be there eventually. <laughs> she's just coasting. Yeah. She, she's, yeah. And yeah, it's, the, it's so funny. I wonder if it's specific to the northern attitude or the stereotype of a northern woman. But like, like, or maybe Molly Sudgeton from Are You Being Served maybe based her <laughs> there's portrayal, so many references to portrayal this on this character. But it's just she, she so reminds me of Mrs. Slocum in the way she reacts to things and the humor that she has. And she's not quite as indignant as Mrs. Slocum, especially in regards to her pussy. But uh, uh, oh my pussy. But it, it, it's just, yeah, it's maybe that's what northern women are like. I don't know. I've never been to England. If you're a northern woman, let me know. I do want to say uh, real quick that uh, the actress Dora Bryan, who plays Helen, yeah. before this, she had just done, like, silly comedies for yeah, a I can see time. that, yeah. And so I think it's interesting that she switched over to this And she's kind of fucking movie. great. She's great. And she's funny. Yeah. She is funny. Yeah. Another thing is when, with Jimmy, the fact that he's a sailor, I yeah. think maybe part of the reason she's so attracted to him is he can go anywhere. He's free to go. And and I guess that's freedom for her, too, because, again, she's realistic. She knows that he's probably going to take off and she'll just never see him again. Right. So she can have her role in the hay that she wants to have. And the only souvenir she has is either an STD, because he's a sailor, <laughs> or, in this case, a baby. <laughs> And also, why don't sailors carry rubbers on them? I thought that was the thing. I thought sailors were, were the guys that always carried rubbers on them. Well, they should, those filthy beggars. They go from port to port. That's right. <laughs> oh, Brendan. <laughs> I had to. I was waiting to throw that in at some point. You gave me the opening. Um, but yeah, and even at the beginning, even at the beginning when they play the, what, what is the song? The Big Ship Sails. Yeah. Like, that is... And that is played at various points throughout this movie. She is just a big ship struggling to sail by her own wind. You cracked it. I did. This whole movie is a metaphor for a boat. And then, of course, we have Helen. We have uh, that scene where Helen's warning Joe against getting married, saying she's going to get trapped. Mm -hmm. There's another instance of it. Uh, Helen ends up being trapped in the relationship with Peter. Mm. Remember when she tries to leave and he's like, go, walk out the door. And she realizes she can't. I was just going to comment, oh yeah, and there's a scene where they walk down and they go and there's bars and they can't get through the bars. And then I realized, no, no, that was an episode of Game of Thrones I watched last night. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much the same thing. as Pretty much, yeah, very similar. But she, yeah, but she feels trapped by hit by Peter because he's, he's, I mean, he's well to do. Mm. And she knows that, she knows at that point that if she leaves him, she's kind of screwed financially. Yeah. And eventually that does happen, but. Uh, but thankfully she can conveniently move back in with her pregnant daughter. <laughs> 
So let's talk about the fair scene. Mm. Both fair scenes, I guess. Is Joe having a rotten time because her mother is so happy and she's jealous of that? Or do you think she's having a rotten time because she realizes, like, oh, if my mother is so happy with this guy, she's basically going to abandon me? I think probably all those things. I think uh, she's... And she's also unhappy because despite the fact that she insists on going along, she didn't really want to be there. I wonder if this has happened before. Mm, yes. Because the way Joe is reacting, it's like, this is not the, her first rodeo. No, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I pronounce it like that. <laughs> like, the, like the street in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> this is not her first rodeo drive. And she she's... Yeah, there, she has like, there's a sort of familiarity about it. She's kind of like prepared for what's going to happen. Yeah. And Peter's the worst. She's worked her way through a number of men over the years. Yes. Peter is also super dismissive of Joe right from the get-go. Yeah. Like, I mean, immediately before doesn't she doesn't even really try. No. And, like, yes, she's not great to him. Yeah. But he's not good to her from the beginning. And she can see right through him. Yeah. Joe can see right through him. He even says, like, things like, oh, and then when they're going in the car, he's like, oh, we can't squeeze her in the car. Like, there's no room for her. Which is basically saying, there's no room for her in our life. Well, and, our, and, and if this life. movie was made today, like, if this movie was written new today, I mean, it'd be so unlikely that... that Helen wouldn't be like a mama lion in the sense of being like, that's my daughter and I love my daughter, but she's very much like, mm, well, my daughter, but then this guy that I want to fucking maybe uh, uh, get a home with and, you know, she's, she is torn. Well, she, yeah, and she kind of does have scenes, Helen does kind of have like little bits of like protectiveness about yeah. her daughter. Like when Peter wants to send her home, she's kind of hesitant about yeah. it at first and then she realizes like, if I don't, he's going to abandon me, and then I'm going to be like it's 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 about yeah. her first, and then and know. and this is a time where for women like this was one of the few options they had. It wasn't like you could just go out and just start a career willy nilly. I mean, it was a much harder prospect. And the idea, you know, and of course it'd been drilled into her head. I imagine since she was a child that you grow up, you marry a man, and he yeah. takes care of you. That drill scene was gory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about uh, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. We're going to talk about Jeffrey a little bit more. Do you know what he reminded me of? His portrayal reminded me of uh, Julie Christie's friend in Darling. Because oh, remember um, her friend in Darling is yeah. also a gay man. Yeah, I think it's Malcolm from Darling. Malcolm in the Middle. And he's uh, a similar thing. He's represented as a, as a gay man, but he's not done in like a cartoonish way. No. And I think if this is 1961, they're doing the same thing. Maybe this kind of kickstarted that a little bit yeah. because Darling was four years after this and many more years after the play. Mm. And I, I don't know about the history of, of the decriminalization of homosexuality in Britain, but I know that this was in an era where this was a big issue that was coming up for the gay community and, and having to deal with it. It was not decriminalized at this point. No. So that's crazy. Think yeah. about that. 1961, guys. That's not that long ago. That's 48 years ago. Fi well, 58. 58 years ago. <laughs> but still, mm. less than 60 years ago, homosexuality was still technically illegal in yeah. Britain. That's and you could go to jail. You could go to jail. Or you would have more sex. For being <laughs> against your will. Yeah. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Fuck this world. Mm-hmm. So, Jeffrey. So, do you think he's more mature than Joe? Do you think he kind of knows the ways of the world? How old do you think he's supposed to be, first of all? I get the sense that he's relatively young. I don't think he's much older than Joe. I'd say he's probably 22. Okay. Do you, think, do you think he realistically... Like, say Helen doesn't come back. Do you think realistically they could have raised that child? I think he would have helped out for a while, for sure. At least until they had some issue between them. Yeah. Because that probably would have happened eventually. But they were tight friends, you know. They were close friends. And I feel like if she had found someone that she actually... Because remember, he says the line where he's like, I'm going to love you until some, until you love someone yeah, else. exactly. And Because, he, he, again, realistic. He knows, he knows that he can't 
marry her and have a relationship with her because that he just that's not what he's about. He can't give her the physical aspect. No, no he can't. I Which mean, I think that eventually will cause some issues. Yeah, especially if yeah she does find somebody else and then you know her her new boyfriend's like who's this puff hanging around here like yeah yeah. But I, I don't think like Helen coming back is the right answer. No. I also wrote down that I think I noticed that Joe kind of treats Helen like her daughter when she comes home with Peter. That scene we yeah. played earlier. Yeah, exactly. She's like, got where a have mom you been? Her shit. Who's this one? Yeah, yeah. So Joe is terrified at some point. She's gonna that the idea of being a woman because mm-hmm. her idea of, of being a woman is her mother. Yeah, and that is the worst. She doesn't want to be that. She, she doesn't want to be that. She doesn't want to be forced into maturity. She doesn't want to be with a guy just to be financially uh, stable. Mm-hmm. And she's got dreams, Brendan. She's unique. I do want to play the uh, the scene we kind of talked about a little bit with Joe and Helen uh, yelling at each other uh, at where she comes in later and Jeffrey's there. Yes. Because they do, uh, Helen says a really interesting little thing at the end of this argument, so I just want to play this here. Are you working? No, I told you, she doesn't like people looking at her. Mm-hmm. She'd be better off working than living off you like a little bloodsucker. Well, she doesn't live off me. No, we shared everything. We're communists, too. That's his influence, I suppose. You get out of it and go back to your fancy man, your husband or whatever you call it. Oh, I'll give you such a bloody good idea, and that's what you've gone short of. Don't show yourself up for what you are. You couldn't wait, could you? And now look at the mess you've got yourself into. Well, get out of it without your help. Throw yourself at the first man you met. Yes, you're right, I did. You're man-mad. I'm like you. You know what they're calling you round here? A silly little oar. They all know where I got it from, don't they? Oh, you bloody head off. Let me get that. And they do. I mean, I think they do to some extent. They, It's just part of their relationship, you know? Yeah, it's just like a thing like, oh, whatever, that's just our thing. Don't butt in. I pick at my parents and they pick at me sometimes when I'm visiting. But, you know, that's just what we do. Yeah. It's never, it's never meant in true meanness or aggression. And I think even with these two characters, whatever problems they have, they do love each other. Mm-hmm. I just think they don't understand each other. That's very true. Uh, what do you think? Where do you think Jeffrey goes after this? A bathhouse. <laughs> I mean, I have to assume because where else is he? Get, or a YMCA, perhaps? Do you, do you think his life goes okay after this? After this story, I I hope so, but I don't know. Again, it's tough for a gay guy yeah. in the sixties in Britain. I mean, I assume he becomes a conservative politician. <laughs> I do like how we're hitting some of these movies that. I mean, they're British movies, so most of them don't have to adhere to the Hollywood code. Mm. Because there was a code at the time in Hollywood, definitely still in the 50s, where... Production code. Yeah, production code, where you had to have a happy ending. Yeah. Or at least all the criminals had to be punished. Well, yeah, criminals had to be punished. And I think 1961 was just around the time it started to switch. Yeah. And, and again, being in Britain, because I don't... This thing probably didn't even, like, go to, like, America at all, if very little um they probably didn't have to adhere to that no because this is not an ending like they had their own in england they would have had their own social mores and things that they would then violate because you know the well remember if it wasn't a family movie yeah for a while it was x yeah well and you have to understand too britain is a different kind of system the united states like the united states they had that production code but eventually that production code had to go to way had to go away because I, I don't know if there was a court case that may have done it, but it came down to an issue of freedom of speech under the First Amendment, whereas in England, you don't have a guarantee of freedom of speech, um, so the government is more has a freer hand to regulate stuff like that. Yeah. Like, for I mean, for instance, for a long time, and maybe still, they would always cut headbutts out of English movies. 
Huh. Or they would cut nunchucks out if they appeared in a film. Like, uh, it, So if you made a movie called Headbutts and Nunchucks, you were screwed. You were done. You weren't getting released. You were refused classification. <laughs> I mean, actually, in just sidebar, you'll notice that in Europe, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were called the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Oh, my God. Because there was something wrong with Ninja, I guess. Yeah. Well, because ninjas were associated with Japanese people and the British were racist, I guess. Yeah, well, and they didn't want anybody to even think of nunchucks. Even though Michelangelo had nunchucks, did they cut all the nunchucks out? Did they cut all the pizza, too? Yeah, British kids weren't weren't supposed to have pizza. It was that <laughs> degenerate Italian shit. So, uh, and then the movie ends with that the big ship sails again to kind of tie it together. And that, to me, says, oh, we're back to square one. I get it. So, Jeff joined the Navy. Yes, that's exactly he what happened. He fit right in. Oh, fit right in, eh? Hey, how's your, how's your father? I love a bit of the old how's your father. No, but I think, I think that's what it is. I think it's because we played that at the very beginning of the movie. There's little bits of it throughout the movie to do, I think, kind of highlight the fact that she she's... It's a children's song, so I think it's like every time she's done doing something a little childlike or immature, mm. the song kicks in a little bit. And then right at the end it's like Mona Lisa when yeah. that Mona Lisa song kicks in you're like oh they're full of shit yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's what it is at the end they're like, you're like oh shit she's not only gone back to square one but now she's pregnant it's not gonna go well for her I don't yeah. think but yeah not super uplifting but that is the movie um, I guess I just have a couple of random note questions mm-hmm. did you notice the sign that said God washes whitest of all it's right at the beginning when they're looking outside at all the things there's just like a billboard that says God washes whitest of all Hmm. Don't know what that means. Uh, yeah, I wonder if that's like a... I have to Google that. I wonder if that's like a slogan for some washing powder or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, there were boobs in the movie? There was. Very briefly, very we saw briefly. some nip. Yeah, but I think because it was artistic, yeah. it uh, they got away with it. Oh, also at some point, she descri- uh, she is described as being Irish. Yeah. <laughs> You're being Irish. Now you'll be an Irish. <laughs> yeah, I don't... Uh, drunk? Is that uh, what uh, Drunk, stupid, uh, uh, thick, maybe. <laughs> daft. Uh, I'm sorry, Ireland. I know we give you a lot of shit, but you're pretty cool. Jason hates the Irish. I love the Irish. I want to go to the Irish someday. I want to present myself to the Irish people. Well, I, that's all the notes I have for the movie. Do you have anything else you wanted to bring up? Uh, just that it is a great movie, that she has the most amazing eyes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if, if you want an intro into kitchen sink dramas, this might be a good place to start. Yeah. To ease you into the this sporting lives of the world. This is the the lube of the kitchen sink dramas. The lube of the kitchen sink dramas, deep, deep pussy. A taste of honey, so it yeah. works out. A little taste it's of a little honey. A little sticky. All right, I'm grossing myself out. Yeah. Uh, so, let's get into the critique of this film. So, this movie does not hit the Oscars ceremony at all. Nothing. But, but, at the Golden Globes... Yeah. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association does award Rita Tushingham Most Promising Female Newcomer. They nice. had that as an award at Good. the time, I guess. That, that, that is an award that they should bring back in some form at the Oscars. Like, Most Promising Newcomer. But I feel like it's a thing that they shouldn't do every year. Like, just have it when it's necessary. Yeah. You know what I mean? When there's somebody that, like, a young actor or actress that really stands out. They should do that Most Popular Film Award. That, that was a thing that yeah. I think could, really could have worked. Could have worked it out. Yeah. yeah. That went over well. At the BAFTAs... The it wins many things, but the two nominations it gets that does not win are for best film 
And most promising newcomer for Murray Melvin was Jeffrey. So he did not also, win. Also great, yeah. Did not win, but he was nominated. Best film did not win. Still working nominated. that guy. Yeah. Dude, yeah, Murray Melvin's still working. I looked him up on Wikipedia. He was it recently even. I think in... he changed his name to Terry Sweeney and was on a Saturday Night Live, right? You're the worst, Brendan. What? You're going to hell for that. Really? Yeah. Why? Because Terry Sweeney died. No, he didn't. Oh, I thought he had AIDS. No. That was Chevy Chase suggesting a sketch where uh, Terry Sweeney gets AIDS and dies. See, I thought he had AIDS and died, and I guess that's me being uh, no. uh, uh, sexist. Chevy Chase, get out of the studio. Yeah. Stop stumbling on your way out. Fucking Chevy Chase. Oh, by the way, random thing. I the, that, that roast is online, and I gotta watch it. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so anyway, so those two things that it gets nominated for. It does win Best British Actress, Redora Bryan, who plays Helen. Uh, Best British Film. Best British screenplay, and then most promising newcomer for Dora Bryan actually wins. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, which is strange because she'd acted in a lot at the time, but it does specify most promising newcomer to leading film roles. Yeah, and so yeah, yes, absolutely, she would have been new. So Taste of Honey is number fifty six on the BFI Top One Hundred. I am actually kind of flabbergasted that most of this got past the censors. Yeah, because you have like homosexuality, interracial relationships, teenage pregnancy. Stuff that we're used to seeing in movies now. Oh, absolutely. But 1961, not so much. Yeah, they were hit, they were like hitting all the things to piss censors off, I'm sure. And I, I wonder how much cutting they had to do around stuff to, to get it through and yeah. classified. And I mean, it's progressive as hell. It moves mm. at a steady pace. It's kind of a feminist movie. Yeah. Directed by a man, but hey, what are you going to do? Written by a woman. And yeah, I do in the 60s. You had to have a man directing your movie in the 60s. How many female directors in the 60s were there? Probably not a whole lot. You know, I think there's a lot more than we think, just not as many that people know about. Yeah. But I think it's a solid movie. It's uh, it's 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 not a hard movie to watch, no. honestly. Out of uh, like we've had a, we've had some that are like really good but really hard to watch. But this is a pretty light watch with heavy subject matter. Pretty quick paced. You know, yeah. it's 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 quick quick watch at 96 minutes, so 56 seems seems like a pretty good number. 56 what? Oh, rating. Oh, okay. Yeah. 56 out of 100. 56 minutes would be great. (laughs) No, 56 on the list seems okay right now. Yeah, that seems about right. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, check it out. Check it out on your local satellite providers. That's right. But now, it's time. It's time. It's time. Bum, 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 bum. Wait, I think I was going into demolition for a second. <laughs> Here comes the axe. Here comes the smasher. Well, demolition. Walking disasters. Demolition. Pain and destruction. Demolition. Is our middle name. Demolition. It's definitely not how that goes. <laughs> uh, my version is better. Oh, fuck you. Wrong, Derringer. Hmm? As if his name was right, Derringer. That doesn't make sense. What are we doing, Jason? We're going to roll some dice. We're going to roll some dice. We're going through this BFI list. I've got it right in front of me. You can hear it. It's on paper now. Yeah, thank you, Mariah. Thank you, Mariah. But we're going to roll the dice to see what our next movie is, because that's how we do it. Right, on the BFI Top 100. And if I'm not mistaken, Brendan, I believe it is your turn to roll the dice. It is my turn to roll the dice. I actually remembered. I checked before we started recording. Smart move. That would be the only time I'll ever do it again. Never again. (laughs) Never again. Um, I'm going to roll one at a time just to up the drama. Oh. You ready? Yeah. So so the first number. Tens. Here we go. Here we go. So we're in the 80s. 80s. I'm going to pull it up. 
Okay, here we go. Here, here we, we go. go. 87. 87 is 1969's Women in Love. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. With each All other. Right. That's that's my hope, Brendan. Uh, it is directed by directed by Ken Russell. Okay. I don't know anything about Ken Russell. I don't think we've watched any Ken Russell movies. No, and, and I thought he was the uh, when you said that, I thought it was the guy that made those documentaries. But it's Ken Burns. Uh, yes, no, no, no Civil War in this movie. I imagine unless it's the English Civil uh, War. Okay, so just to get a little uh, heads up on this movie, directed by Ken Russell, stars Alan Bates, who we've seen in uh, the Go. The go-between? The yes, go-between. absolutely. Yes. Uh, Alan Bates, Oliver Reed. Gladiators, Oliver Reed. Glenda Jackson and Jenny Linden. Don't know those people? Sure, they're great. And it was adapted from D.H. Lawrence's novel, Women in Love. Ooh, D.H. Lawrence, a famous author. Brandywine Productions. <laughs> mm, I do like Brandywine. Uh, okay, September 1969, 131 minutes, United Ooh. Kingdom, English. Okay, It's a long one. It's a long one, but we'll check it out. We'll check this out. We'll see what it's all about, Jason. The poster looks provocative as fuck. Okay, Women in Love, 1969. We're going to do that next week. But uh, until then, I will say that you should follow us on Twitter. And on Facebook. Yes, on Facebook. Just search for For Screen and Country. And on Twitter, we are at BFI underscore pod. Jason is also on Twitter. I'm at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Where he live tweets Marvel porn parodies. All the time. Yes. So, Jason. Women in love. Women in love. I'm already in love. With me? With women. Oh. Okay. I'm patient. I'll win you over. You're not pretty enough, Brendan. No, I'm but gonna, if you work at it, I'm I'm work. I, hey, 20, 24 episodes. I'm gonna do all right. This. So I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screen and country, I'm Brendan and I'm Jason. You sir have impregnated me. <gasps> I'm gonna be a daddy. A taste of honey, tasting much sweeter. Than wine. Do do I dream of your first kiss, and then I feel upon my lips again a taste of honey, a taste of honey, tasting much sweeter than wine. And we're here on this British show about Britishness, talking about British. Mm. British coffee, British tea, British condoms. The great British drink, Starbucks. Star Brits. Star Brits. Brit Bucks. Mm. Those are actually, that's the currency. Brit Bucks, yeah. <laughs> that's what you, you get them at the border. You can buy them right at the airport. Yeah, it's like Space Bucks. Yeah. But in Britain, it's Brit Bucks. And nobody accepts them. <laughs> Not even Britain. No. It's a real scam. <laughs> I started to wonder. I don't think those are actual border guards, considering they had white T-shirts that said "border guards" on, the, and the R was backwards, and, and, a t- and a, then a button that said "ask me about how you can buy Brit Bucks." Yeah, it was weird. Mm. <laughs> if you've ever found yourself scrolling through the recommended movies on streaming services and wondering if any of those are worth your time, I'm here to help. 
Hi, I'm Erica, host of Customers Also Watched, a podcast about movies on Amazon Prime. I started with one movie from my own watch list, and from there, each episode, I grab a friend or two, and we discuss a movie from the Customers Also Watch list of the previous episode's movie. Follow on Twitter at CAW Podcast, and Facebook or Instagram under Customers Also Watched. Available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. See you down the rabbit hole. Hey everyone, it's Chris and Mike from The Recasting Couch, the podcast where we take our favorite movies and discuss what they would be like with new actors in all the lead roles. Hey Mike, tell them where they can find us on social media. You can find our website at therecastingcouch.com or on Twitter at RecastingPod. And of course, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Android, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, if there's a service that's not posting our pod, you let us know and we will rectify that immediately. Damn right. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody.